Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Well, hello. Hello. Welcome to the end of the week. You know, actually, I think I'm depressed. I mean, I just sort of started to realize that today. And the way that I know that I'm depressed is, you know, a lot of people, when you encounter them at work, they go, oh, well, at least it's Thursday. There's only one more. Oh, only it's Wednesday. I'm halfway. It's a hump day. I'm halfway through. You know, thank God it's Friday. I, I was thinking to these people, you need a different job. God, you really hate your job. Because uh, I like my job. Either that or my weekend isn't so much better than my job or something that I just, I never feel that way. Um, but <laughs> I kind of do feel that way today. So I, but I'm telling you that now. And the reason I'm telling you that now is the first thing that we're going to talk about today on the nose after I introduce the panelists, which I promised to do is it's about a comedy special in which the person kind of shows her cards at the beginning. Uh, so maybe that's why I just did that. I have no idea why I just confessed to being depressed. And maybe I'm not really depressed. Anyway, you know, joining us now for the nose, uh, now that I've alarmed you, is uh, Kara McDonough, a freelance writer. She's been with us many times. You can read her blog at karamcdunna.com. That's C-A-R-A-M-C-D-U-N-A. I don't know if that was helpful to you or not, .com. We'll put it up on the on the webpage so you can get there. Bill Usman is a professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. He joins us by Skype. Uh, later on in the show, we'll be talking about the uh, beautifully Connecticut-focused, I know this much is true, by uh, the William Faulkner of Southeastern Connecticut, Wally Lamb. Uh, and this is an adaptation starring uh, Mark Ruffalo as two fairly different twins, uh, and also has some pretty tremendous uh, supporting performances by Catherine Hahn and Rose O'Donnell and Arjun uh, Anyway, more to come about that. At the beginning here, this is the second time we've talked about this comedian, uh, Hannah Gadsby. Uh, she became famous uh, a few years back with a special called Nanette uh, that was in 2018. And uh, at that point, I guess she'd been, well, actually, you know what we should do? We should just get going here. So we can say all this stuff contextually as we go along. But before we um, get going and, and have the panel discuss it, let's just hear a little clip from the opening of the new special, which is called Douglas. I had no plans to make it in America. This was not on my agenda. And then what happened, though, is I wrote a show called Nanette, right? That well then, that's clear, isn't it? That's why you're here. <laughs> you're not here because of my back catalogue of prior, are you? <laughs> Which does beg the question, if you're here because of Nanette, why? <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, it's a good show, solid bit of work. I'm quite fond, but it was a particular show of a very particular flavour. And if that is what is bought, what the f***? are you expecting from this show? Because I'm sorry, if it's more trauma, I, I'm fresh out. Had I known just how wildly popular trauma was going to be in the context of comedy, I might have budgeted my a bit better. Honestly, I could have built quite the career out of it, at least a trilogy, but I went and put all my trauma eggs into one basket like a idiot, and now here we are. 
All right. So um, maybe we need to explain. And Bill, I think you, were you on the original show where we talked about Nanette? I can't remember. I was. Yes, I'm your Gatsby specialist. Yeah, that's what I thought. You, so uh, maybe uh, you'd like to explain to the audience what it is she's making reference to, uh, why, in fact, people uh, coming on into this special would have different expectations. Sure. So in 2018, Hannah Gatsby had this wildly successful Netflix special called Nanette. I have to admit, I had never heard of her before because I am at one of those Americans that she's referring to. And I think that what really made Nanette stand out was that it was much more than just your typical um, stand-up comedy special. It kind of started out that way, and then it became this blazingly angry um explosion really about patriarchy about the abuse that she has suffered in her world in her life about the things that she has struggled with and it really uh, i think really challenged people to kind of rethink what they expected from specials like that which and she does refer to that uh, uh, at some point in this show maybe at at some point we can talk about whether it's even productful, pr uh, pr productive in any way to try to put uh, a box around what is stand-up comedy or what isn't. So, you know, this was such a successful show, Nanette, that she did was in one of those uncomfortable positions about how she was going to follow it up. She had said during Nanette that she was quitting comedy because she just couldn't deal with it anymore. She couldn't deal with the self-deprecation of it. Um, but I think we all kind of knew that that wasn't true, and especially not when it became so successful. Right. I mean, uh, even if she had genuinely planned that, suddenly she went from being a person whom, as she references in the clip that we played, uh, you know, people in America had never heard of her. She hadn't made it in America at all. She had, you know, a, a pretty rich comedy career uh, in, in Australia, but not so much here. So, so Kara, this is, yeah, this is not Nanette at all. Douglas is sort of a more conventional comedy special, um, although there's a couple of tricks to it. And the main trick is one where she spends really a long chunk of the beginning explaining what the structure of the comedy special is going to be, setting up jokes um, and creating a certain set of expectations. I'm being told by Jonathan McPants, 14 minutes and 40 seconds, uh, which is a lot in the world of comedy, mm -hmm. is spent just saying what's coming. coming. So, Karen McDonough, how, how did that work for you? So, I loved it. I love Douglas. And I will say also that the whole reason I watched Nanette and heard of Hannah Gadsby was because I heard you guys discuss it on the nose. So this is a nice full circle. Ah. Uh, and I loved that too. And that, that special was a jaw dropping moment for me. I watched it. I literally, I think my jaw dropped when she <clears throat> kind of exploded at the end, as Bill just said, and then promptly texted every single person I knew and told them they had to watch it. This was different. As you just mentioned, um, the setup worked for me. I think uh, I knew she was going to do that because we had discussed it. So I was anticipating it. And I think she had to do it a little bit because of how 
she left the last special. She said she wasn't going to do comedy anymore. She sort of um, made it a whole thing that her, um, her setup was different, that maybe she's not a comedian. So I think in setting it up, she was sort of almost a little bit mocking herself and saying, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll lay it out for you. This is what this special is going to look like. And then I was a little worried, especially at first, um, it wasn't rolling as much for me. It wasn't as funny for me. But by the end, I thought that she landed everything perfectly. And I thought that the setup, um, you know, made the jokes all the better. Um, I think some of them, frankly, wouldn't have worked without the setup. We had to know they were coming. It was like a little aside. Um, and I think she also, she sort of enclosed the audience and herself in this little sort of society by doing that. I felt like we were all in this joke together um, and her enemies were sort of, um, you know, on the outside and that we were all in this as one, as one happy family who, who got what she was doing. Right. And so I will be honest uh, and say that I am, I didn't like this special and I, I'm, I feel like I'm on shaky ground in a number of different ways, including the fact that she kind of indemnifies herself against people who don't like that like her comedy <laughs> in kind of the way that you suggested particularly if those people are men you know and and i but by the way i would freely acknowledge that comedy is always a two-way street so i mean i have some very specific criticisms uh, of gatsby but i also know that i'm a man i just admitted to being depressed at the start of the show that might make me less fertile ground for comedy um but um but for me, anyway, I, I thought we should say a little bit more about the structure of this, though. So it, it, she does sort of divide it up into different chunks. The chunks are pretty short. You know, so she goes from some observational comedy about Americans uh, through to a story about a visit to a doctor and a conversation she had in a dog park. Uh, she uh, um, also talks. She does kind of an art lecture about the Renaissance uh, at one point. Um, I'm skipping a few. There's some stuff about golf and where's Waldo and I have things to say about all of this but I, I also don't want to <laughs> monopolize the conversation that much um, the one thing that I will say and I will get this thing out of the way because uh, then I'll, I'll step back because I want to hear what you guys liked about it one of the things she does in the setup which she's uh, talking about the um, uh, the the structure to come she says that there's going to be a Louis CK joke and it's going to be in that we're going to forget that she promised it so it's going to be this big surprise and it's going to be such a good joke that it's going to be a mic drop joke although she's not the kind of person who would ever drop a mic so she's going to gently put the mic down on the floor blah 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 and I have to say that when the joke comes it's not that good and I found myself thinking given everything that has proceeded including and I left this out the fact that she talks a lot about she herself being autistic you know I look at Louis CK right now and I think obviously he is guilty of pretty, some pretty significantly bad behavior but I also think he has a psychological problem I mean, normal people don't do what he's accused of doing you know and he's mm -hmm. not R. Kelly he's this guy who had this compulsion to do right. this really weird thing and he's pretty much finished in show business as far as I can tell so why you would want to really kind of land your special with you know, there's some talk about punching up and punching down. You know, a guy who's already basically just destroyed. You want to kick him one last time. Not really that good a joke. Not a mic drop joke. I didn't think. I, at that point, I thought, uh, well, and I don't know what I thought actually. But anyway, that is, uh, uh, th th that's sort of my biggest problem in a way is that I almost felt like she wasn't who she claimed to be, which is this kind of deferential person who always assumes things are her fault. I don't think she's that person 
at all. I think she thinks it's our fault. Anyway, I'll shut up. Bill, talk, talk about some of the things you liked or push back against me. Well, first I'm going to diagnose why you didn't like it because I actually know the real reason. Okay. I think Declan got to you <laughs> and he's mad that she named the special after her dog yeah. and he's pressuring you to change the name of this show to the Declan show and you don't want to do that so you're just irritated and I really think that's the basis for all of your dislike of the special. Well, De Declan, who is my dog and who is sitting in the in what he now considers to be his assistant producer chair here in the room right now, is neither assenting nor disagreeing with you. He knows. Yeah. We know. Yeah. We know the truth. Uh, I did like it. I like it. A, I, I liked it a fair bit. It made me laugh a fair bit. I think you're right about um, the the climax of it, and you know why Louis C.K. was the not the mic drop moment, but the gently put the mic on the ground moment, which I, which I did find kind of funny. Um, because you know, you are right. He's a really easy target at this point. I, I was just kind of thinking while you were saying that, that at this point in time, it really wouldn't be, you know, any great act of courage to hit Sean Spicer in the face with a cream pie. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it would be a great act of courage to, um, you know, to hit uh, Jared Kushner or somebody in the face with a cream pie. And I would be all about that. But Sean Spicer, really, it's like the moment has kind of passed, but we're still beating up on, on Louis CK. So, so I, I think that's, that's, that's a pretty fair point. Um, what I liked about it is I, I think that the success of Nanette put her in a really tough position, um, which, you know, um, I'm a huge music fan and we talk a lot about the sophomore slump, you know, the bands that come out with an amazing, great, innovative first album, and then they just come out with something that's kind of run of the mill. And I think that's always a, a problem for people who have that, that kind of success. It wasn't really a sophomore slump for her because as we've said, mm -hmm. she had this whole previous career, but in terms of global attention, um, I think she pretty successfully, for the most part, avoids a sophomore slump. I think it's a good um, comedy special and that I, I was okay with it being, you know, a good comedy special that made me laugh. It wasn't, it's not innovative or groundbreaking in the way that Nanette was, but it would be very difficult to, to be that. I think she had a tough decision to make and her decision in this one was to go meta. Um, you know, spending that first 15 minutes telling us the show hasn't even really started yet, but this is what's to expect. This is what's coming. You're going to be surprised, but you're not really going to be surprised. And I have to admit that works for me personally, because I'm a sucker for meta. <laughs> I love meta later on in the show she even does a bit about it being meta and you know how much more meta can you get than that so so those aspects of it really worked for me and i could see what a tough what a tough position she was in with this follow-up show 
So, um, yeah, Kara, tell me more about the stuff that you liked, too. Sure. So I like like Bill did. I, I liked that it was meta. I liked that it was kind of overly clever. Sometimes it doesn't work for me. Sometimes I find that too precious or annoying. But I don't know. Maybe it's just my mood right now. I needed that sharp sort of um, back and forth comedy where one minute she was talking about a serious subject like gender politics. The next minute she was um, making a joke. Um, about where's Waldo? I I I don't know, but that really worked for me. That sort of bright, tight comedy. Um, right now, that really worked for me. I also I just I was trying to flesh this out and just de- decide what to say about this. I just find her very charming. I I think Colin that you said that she doesn't seem to be the person that that she is sometimes, and I actually agree about the Louis C.K. joke. When she said she was going to make a Louis C.K. joke, I was immediately like, uh, not him again. We're done with him. Um, and I don't think the joke was that great. I loved that she gently placed the mic on the ground. I think that really worked. Maybe there could have been a, a much stronger joke there, something else to leave us with. Um, but I thought the comedy was funny. And I'll admit to you guys that I'm kind of a lightweight when it comes to comedy. I get uncomfortable really, really quickly. Um, I tend to not like comics when they try to be offensive, um, which I think is you know, I, I think I've, I've even discussed with you before, it's kind of a modern theme, um, you know, how far can you go? And to me, for whatever reason, she doesn't do that. She has, I don't know if you would agree with me or if this sounds crazy, but there's something polite about the way she discusses uncomfortable situations. Um, there's something heightened about it that really appeals to me. Um, but maybe that, that might be because I'm a little bit of a wimp sometimes. But this comedy special was kind of exactly what I needed right now. You know, there's a sort of a Southern trope uh, that when you, particularly uh, among Southern ladies, if I may be gender specific, uh, that when you really are burying the dagger into somebody who's not there, then you just say, and bless her heart. <laughs> I think she's yep. got the, maybe there's an Australian version of that. Cause I think there's yeah. a little bit of what you say, Kara, that she's seems polite and deferential and, and, but there's also a way in which she really is going for the juggler jugular. I'll just say right. one more thing about that sort of technique driven. Cause, cause I also agree that there's a thoughtfulness about uh, uh, some of her work, but I think also she, she does something and she's by no means the only comedian who does it, but she trains her audience to know where the jokes are and where the jokes are, particularly in the, I don't know, final two thirds of the special are, it's a joke when she's yelling the punchline and usually has the F word somewhere in that yell. And, and, and what happens as a result of that is that you can sort of see the audience kind of going, okay, yeah, that's, this is when we laugh. We laugh when she does that. And as a result, she doesn't get laughs for some of the material that I found a little bit more thoughtful. And I'll give you an example. She's doing a whole thing. She's already established that she's uh, somewhere on the autism spectrum. Uh, and then she starts talking about uh, anti-vaxxers. And at one point she says uh, uh, this whole idea about, you know, um, the, the fears that anti-vaxxers have, she finally says, look, I'm autistic and I'm willing to take one for the team. Now, she doesn't say it. She doesn't yell it. She doesn't use the F word. It's a really smart, funny you know, little observation that you need half a beat 
to to absorb what she's suggesting uh and mm-hmm. and she gets no she literally gets zero laugh from that because it, she's trained mm-hmm. her audience mm-hmm. to look for the laughs someplace else it is a little bit mm-hmm. like where's where's waldo and i that's thought true. that's that's too bad because really i sort of i think i agree with you Kara, that some of the asides the little throwaways are actually where i was really liking her a lot better and she was teaching her audience to look for the home runs so i don't know bill i could tell you have something to say here yeah, no, I think I I agree with that. She says some things as just almost like quieter asides, mm-hmm. which, you know, it, it would almost be good if she was working with, with someone who would say, no, 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 don't don't sleep on that one. That mm-hmm. one's really good. Um, but but there are quite a few of those just kind of asides that that would be really easy to miss. Um, she does, as Kara said, she whiplashes back and forth between just completely silly. Um, where's Waldo and teenage mutant Ninja turtles. And then, but she always connects them to the politics of gender and she finds a way to make the silly, very political. And she finds a way to make the political, very silly. And I, and I like that. I like that, that whiplash that she does. And in terms of the yelling, I thought a little bit about, uh, Lewis black who mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. does, you know, the fake outrage yelling thing. And it's so much a part of what he was, uh, of, of who he is as a comedian. And then I realized they both even do the same, uh, pushing up of their glasses uh, just after they get done yelling. So I don't know, but I kind of almost wonder if Lewis Black has been a big influence on her work um, because I did see that resonance there. It, it makes me wonder, Kara, what she really is like in real in person because I hadn't really mm-hmm. I hadn't made the connection that Bill has made. I've actually. I had an opportunity one time to warm up an audience for Lewis Black and he's been on the show and we kind of talked off the air and he's he's you will probably be unsurprised to find out he really isn't that guy at all. He's this a little on the quiet side, very reflective, somewhat deferential, not super confident about himself. Um, and so, Kara, maybe she's telling the truth, really, when she says, because at one point she says something like, I'm the kind of person who, when things get awkward, I assume it's me. I assume I'm doing something wrong. And, right. and maybe that really is who she is. Right, exactly. And I think that's what I like about her. And I think if she, you know, yelling aside and obviously performance aside, um, I think if I thought that she wasn't, she wasn't pretty much who she was on stage. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like her as much. I think there's an, an authenticity to her talking about her personal experience that, um, that I really enjoy. And also just her observations, me personally, um, you know, it's subjective. I just agreed with so many of them. There's the section where she's having her puffer fish moments where she's talking about things that make her angry. And I just so wholeheartedly agreed with every <laughs> single one of them. Oh Yeah. It's really easy for me to like her because, you know, we're completely on the same side of the political spectrum, that's for sure. And so it does make it easier for me to, you know, just give myself over to what she's doing. Right. Absolutely. Well, we should probably wrap this up. Uh, and I, I apologize for being the skunk at the garden party, too. I mean, there, <laughs> there is a lot to chew on in this special, and I, I may have also not just been in the mood for it. I will say... Every garden party needs a good skunk. Yeah. I, I will say... 
that <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get in trouble for this too. But um, <laughs> I, the whole time I was watching her, and I can't, and I don't know who's been on the nose with whom, and who's been on the nose physically present. Back in the day, we were all in the same room <laughs> with him. But I kept thinking she looks like Jim Chapdelaine's short cousin from Australia. Um, I mean, there's something about the shape of her face, and maybe I don't know the glasses. I can't figure out what it was. I kept thinking this, like if Jim Chapdelaine were a not a tall, slender West Hartford guy, but we're, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I just said he's such a up. yeller, too. Yeah, it's such a yeller, too. Yeah. I haven't met him yet, but I'll definitely bring that up if I All ever right. do. When you meet him, it'll bother you uh, now that, you know, the whole kind of Gatsby thing. All right. I, I mentioned that to him in an email, and as far as I can tell, he's not speaking to me anymore. So uh, we'll go to a break and uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about Wally Lamb's wonderful novel turned into a miniseries. Douglas apple tree, have a wife now let her be. Give me, give me what you got. I'm gonna make you what you're not. All right, so we are back, uh, and we are talking to Kara McDonough, a freelance writer. You can read her blog at karamcdonough.com. I'm not going to spell it out this time. Uh, Bill Usman is professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University, uh, and he's joining us by Skype. That's important for some reason. Uh, it's important to the people at Skype that we say this, apparently. Anyway, uh, Kara's on Zoom if you have to know these things. Um, so I know this much is true as a six-part HBO miniseries based on the 1998 novel by Wally Lamb, which was his second novel. The series premiered. Uh, May 10th, uh, and uh, three episodes have aired so far. Um, I feel as though, well, let, let's maybe just begin. I, I think all of us agree that one of the really great supporting performances uh, in this um, uh, series is by Rosie O'Donnell. In with a role and a look that I we haven't really seen from her before. At least I can't really think of what I would compare it to, but maybe I don't. Uh, no, uh, all of her work or something like that. But anyway, so she plays um, kind of this uh, intake person uh, as one of these two brothers. The brothers are Dominic uh, and Thomas Birdsey. Uh, Thomas uh, has a lifelong uh, severe uh, psychiatric illness problems. Uh, he's uh, because he has done, and this is not a spoiler. It happens in the first, first three minutes. Or should actually, I'll let the panel vote on this. Should we tell them? Or should we tell them what happens in the first three minutes or? Yeah, um, yeah, sure. Okay. I think it's fine. Right. Important. Right. So in the first three minutes, uh, Thomas uh, having an episode and also concerned about um, war uh, in particular um, is in, in a public place. Uh, he actually chops off his own hand in public. Uh, he's taken to uh, a hospital for the physical problem, but then he's taken in at a different kind of institution from the one where he had been residing. I think that's enough setup. Here's a Rosie O'Donnell as Lisa Sheffer and Mark Ruffalo as Thomas's brother, Dominic. Mark also plays Thomas as well. Anyway, here we go. Dr. Ellers is no longer your brother's doctor. He has been reassigned. Reassigned by who? The state commissioner's office in Hartford. It's not all bad news, though. Dr. Patel is his nude psychologist, who is absolutely fantastic. All right. No, Dr. Ellers is my brother's doctor. He has right. been my brother's doctor for the treatment for the last four years, successfully for the most part. Successfully. Your brother cut off his hand. I, every single time he's ever had an episode, he ends up at Settle. So why would he end up here, all right? He's practically a fixture down there. And if you made one phone call, if you took the time to listen to what I'm saying to you, and you made a you phone call... I don't like your tone. Hey, sorry. I really don't. No, you can leave if you want to. 
I'm an advocate. I'm here for you and for your brother. So knock it off. Listen to me. My brother doesn't belong here. He's got no defenses. I understand. He's probably freaking out right about now. It's like putting a bunny rabbit in a pack of wolves. He's not going to survive here. And it's going to be on you. Well, it's not going to be on me, but thanks Who's for saying gonna that. On? I'm going to give it to you straight, Dominic, okay? Your brother was placed in a forensic hospital because he's seriously mentally ill. And he committed a serious crime. So um, I have lots of things that I want to say about this, but um, I, I'm going to go defer to the panel uh, and get, kind of get things going here. So, Kara, I don't know, just sort of maybe give me your overall sense of how things are going. We're halfway in uh, to what is a fairly searing and, and at times almost unrelievedly dark a portrait of uh, a very small, tattered nuclear family trying to deal with serious mental illness and a bunch of other problems. Uh, so this is not going to be, you know... This is not his girl Friday, but uh, but how is it working for you? <laughs> oh, unbelievably, such a good way to put it. I yeah, we're halfway in. I watched the third episode last night, which is the most recent one, and I'm I'm going to be honest. I had to sort of force myself to watch it. I did not want to watch it. I wanted to watch something familiar and fast paced, <laughs> but I watched it. Um, and. I said this in the lead up discussion we were having before we came on the air, but I, I really like this show. I think it's incredibly well done. I think Mark Ruffalo is like a revelation in this. I, I, when I was watching for him, I've never felt this way about an actor, but I almost like felt, I don't know, like badly for him or something for just having to do this gut wrenching job of playing both of these brothers who have undergone so much. Um, but I don't like watching it because it is so it's so filled with misery. And I think these are important stories to tell. I think that the, um, I think that the, the novel, which I haven't read, I'll say, um, is telling a very important, a, a crucial story and a story, as we've discussed, that doesn't often get told. Um, but for me right now, and I, I really do think that right now might be part of this for me is, um, this is a story about really hard to solve problems. Um, there's a lot of extreme close-ups and staying in the moment in this series, I found. They really stay in difficult moments. Um, there's a scene, I think it's a, the first one, but I might be wrong, where they're taking um, Thomas away to the more high-level security um, facility, and they just stay in the moment for such a long time where his poor brother is just losing his mind that this is happening and it's it's close-up shots and it is you know you know that the situation is not going to go either of their way but you're forced to watch it um and I found that so difficult and, and there's a lot of moments like that um of course as we were just discussing there's a lot of moments of sort of wonderfully subtle levity too um like with Rosie O'Donnell's character she's a very serious character in this but I love um you know she's kind of this worn out social worker and I love the way she handles Mark Ruffalo's dominant character. It's, I mean, I think anyone who's dealt with a small child having a tantrum understands that sort of, you just keep saying to them, nope, 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 this isn't going to work. Uh, and I think she's amazing in the role. Yeah, how about you, Bill? Give, give me some of your takes here. Yeah, I'm mostly in the same place where Kara is. It's... You know, it's 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 hard to say that it's a show I'm enjoying because it's not it's not fun to watch. And I do think 
I think it's particularly difficult to watch right now um, with everything that's happening. You know, I was actually, I don't want to go too far off track, but I was watching the news last night and, you know, Colin, I think it makes perfect sense if you're depressed because I feel like I'm depressed too. I don't know how you can be paying attention to what's happening without being depressed. And so then to immerse yourself in this unrelentingly bleak story, it's tough. It's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough road, but I think that has something to do with how it's being told and the story itself, but also something to do with the context in which we're watching it. I was actually struggling a little bit last night about thinking that we're going to come on here today and, you know, we're going to talk about what is purportedly entertainment when really there is so much to be mourning right now. But I think that both the Hannah Gatsby special and I know this as much is true they are both about pain in some ways in very, very different ways, but they're both about pain. And I think we do need cultural stories and we need to invest ourselves in cultural stories that help us to become more empathetic people that help us to, um, understand pain and, and, and to live in pain a little bit. So, so I don't think there's any conflict in talking about these things you know, for an hour while there's so much else going on in the world. And as, and as a show itself, I, I think there's some problems, but I think for the most part, they, they do a very good job of, of telling this unrelentingly sad narrative. Right. I, so I want to say a few things here. First of all, I'm an unreliable narrator because I've known Wally Lamb forever. Like he was a teacher who had not written a book when I first met him. Uh, and he's, of course, gone on to incredible glory. This particular book was the second Oprah Book Club book by Wally Lamb. She's come undone being the first. Nobody had ever done that before. Nobody had ever done uh, the Oprah thing twice. Um, in this book, uh, what I'm missing, I think, well, let me just say a couple other things. One of the things that I love about Wally's work, and I think I would love it even if I didn't know him and love him, uh, is that he has made southeastern Connecticut into his Yokna Patafa County, or what, however you say that, a county that's in all the Faulkner books you know he's really he lives it to his fingertips and it's there it's the sto these stories these novels are always the stories of people who are either working class or middle class but not doing that great with them in the middle class um, and you know you there's not enough of that and there's certainly not enough of that in TV and movies um, and and he just gets it all so right because he knows it so well and it's it's um, but the other thing that he he has is while he's really funny like he's fairly funny person and I think he's a, uh, often a very funny writer and some of the books that he's done more recently have just been sort of out and out comic things. One of the things that makes this book work and tick is the narration by Dominic in the book that always has a, a little tinge 
of humor about it and also some self-observation. I mean, one of the problems with this series at times is that it's hard to find somebody to like. You, you do like the clinicians. But, you know, Thomas Birdsey is just a mess. And Dominic is, too. There's a lot of questions about, well, who's really crazy here? You know, who can be helped? Archie Punjabi says, I actually have two mentally ill brothers in my care. There's one of them I think I could actually fix. Um, but what we don't get, I think what this series is missing kind of is Wally's voice, which he's so good at getting that these little bits of self-observation by the narrator where the narrator goes, oh, yeah, I didn't mean it to say it that way, but it came out as a threat. Um, and uh, and I, I sort of wish that there is a little bit of narration there. I wish it had more of what I know to, and love about Wally Lamb's writing voice. But um, I don't know. Let's what, what else, Kara? There are some pretty amazing performances. Juliet Lewis, R.G. Punjabi, oh. Rosie O'Donnell. And as you're saying, Ruffalo is doing this crazy thing, you know, where he lost 20 pounds to play Dominic and then put on 40 pounds to play Thomas. But it's much more than that kind of parlor trick. Right. Yeah. His performance is, his performance is incredible. And the close-ups, in the same way that they do these sort of lingering in the scenes, there are these close-ups of his face that are just, um, I don't know, they're sort of ravaging. Like the pain on his face is just so, so tangible. Um, and I think his performance is amazing. Um, but the, the, the supporting roles, I mean, while I really, really enjoy what he's doing, the supporting roles, maybe because I needed, I needed something, um, to break, (laughs) to break the misery, um, are, are incredible. I already mentioned Rosie O'Donnell, Juliet Lewis in that first episode does this wonderful, like very Juliet Lewis, like perfectly uncomfortable, insane sort of episode that was so enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking forward to her coming back. It sounds like she will. Um, I also love Catherine Hahn as his, his ex-wife. Um, they've also suffered a terrible loss. There's, there's another whole storyline there. Um, and then uh, is it Rob Hubel who plays his friend? I think that, yes. I, I don't, is that the actual yeah. name? Yeah. yeah. Who plays Dominic's good friend and has a couple um, really great, really great, very, very um, funny lines. Um, but I want to also go back to something. One thing that Bill said that really struck me is that w- what you were talking about, about pain in the world right now and listening to these stories about pain. I think I was, I was getting sort of annoyed at myself by being so put off by this, sad story because I was like, isn't, maybe now is the time, you know, just sink in. Maybe this is the time to hurt and um, listen to the sad stories. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe distraction isn't, isn't always the ticket. And so, um, so I will finish it, especially because it only goes um, to six, but, uh, but my, my feelings of um, any feelings I have of, of not enjoying this experience are really related to the, um, to the, to the tragedy of the story. Um, and I also, I, I was a little bit confused about a few, a few plot, plot, um, situations. I think Colin, what you were saying about the narration is probably, is probably right on. I was, I was a little confused, um, going from the pilot to the second episode about, about the plot a tiny bit, but not, not nearly enough to lose the story for me. 
So before we hear from Bill, who will probably wind up having the last word here, first of all, one Mr. Pants just pointed out we should also shout shout out these the the performance of the younger Birdsey twins. The Birdsey twins when they're in college is also kind of amazing and amazing the way they manages to get some ruffalo into those performances also. So the whatever I don't know the actor's name, but before we do that, before we wrap up here, I do. It's worth just noting that there are obviously a number of scenes where Ruffalo plays Dominic and Ruffalo plays Thomas, and they are the only people in the scene, and they are uh, talking to one another. I'm being told Philip Ettinger is the name of the actor doing the college performance. But um, uh, I think we should play one of them just to see you maybe get a chance to hear uh, what goes back and forth between the same actor being two characters. What do you want to eat? What do you want, buddy? Oil companies. America. We're living on borrowed time, Dominic. We're just wallowing in our, in our greed and, and spiritual filth. And now it's time to pay. We're, we're going to pay hey, the price. I don't mean to and change somebody, the subject. How's your coffee cart? How's your business? For the sake of cheap oil. How do we justify that? How's your business, huh? How are we going to prevent the vengeance of God? We have no respect for human life. I don't know, buddy. What do you want to eat? Have you had time to look at the menu? Can't worship those God and money, Christian. America's gonna vomit up its own blood. Uh, can I get a... I'll get a cheeseburger. No fries, salad on the side. What do you want? I want hot dogs. Hot dogs. Hot dogs. Thank you. Thank you. You're a good brother to me. So, you know, Bill, one of the things I like about that scene, too, is it's heartbreaking, but it's also to get back to the point that both of you are making, you know, Thomas, who is the crazy institutional institutionalizable person is in so many ways. And this isn't that unusual. The prophetic one, the one who's actually in many cases talking about real things uh, in a way that's identifiable in the way that both of you guys have been saying right now. In other words, right now, we really have to make a choice between between getting real or trying to paper over things. Dominic in this scene and others is, you know, eager to distract and eager, eager to paper over. And once again, you do start wondering, well, who exactly is crazy here? Yeah, that line, America is going to vomit up its own blood. Go take a look at the newspapers today mm-hmm. yeah. and see if that line is not indeed prophetic. Um, and not just one story, but several different ones. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough going, but, but I think it's an important story. There's, I don't know if this is a criticism. There is no air in the way it's being told as a mini series. I, I haven't read the novel. Um, but in the mini series, there is no air. Um, even the visuals of it, um, it's very somber, very, there's no color. It's all different muted shades of gray. Um, but I do think it's a well told story. And one of the things that comes out in the clip that you just played, um, one of the things I like about it 
that maybe maybe is a little bit of air is that there are a lot of small acts of kindness uh, in the story that I found very emotionally moving. There's also a scene where Dominic takes Thomas to a McDonald's uh, after a traumatic incident because that's all that Thomas wants. And they're sitting, eating in their car, and there's something about this adult man, Thomas, getting such comfort from this bad fast food um, that's just was incredibly poignant to me. Um, And there are lots of scenes where people do something very, very kind to someone else, which which I, I, I got a lot out of. All right, we're going to stop there. I won't tell Michael Pollan what you said about McDonald's. Uh, and uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll make, some, <laughs> we'll make some recommendations. All right, uh, we're back with Bill Usman and Karen McDonough. Uh, time to make some recommendations, but before we do that, I have to thank Kat Pastor. She's there in the studio right now, making the whole show hum, uh, and that means that we can w- work remotely. We, meaning me, and Jonathan McPants, uh, who is the producer of the Nose and of today's episode. Therefore, uh, and so thanks to all of the, to both of them and all the other people uh, who are behind us, helping us. Uh, and uh, we're short on time, so I won't name them all. But we'll be back on Monday. We're going to keep uh, doing some of the work we do on Monday about the medical science behind COVID-19. We'll have uh, Alan Dove, uh, who is a, just a terrific uh, researcher who appears on This Week in Virology. All right. Um, so, Karen McDonough, why don't you go first? What are you going to recommend to us? Sure. So, I actually have not been ingesting that much new media or books or anything during this pandemic. I think it's largely because there's just family members all around me all the time. Um but one thing, and this is kind of a vague, vague endorsement, and it's specific to me, but, but in people of my age group, but I have been listening to a ton of 90s music, which um, was recommended by a friend of a similar age. Um, that's the music that was popular when I was in high school and college and really spoke to my, you know, any angst I had, any, any unfounded rage. Um, but I went and I put a ton of 90s bands that I liked on my running mix. And I've been playing it when I'm running and also all the time. Um, okay, name, you got to name like three of the bands. Yeah, Weezer I put on there. Yeah. Cake I put on A Tribe Called Quest. I put on Arrested Development. Um, and right. it's totally doing it for me. And I don't know if it's just that I want familiarity. I want something that makes me remember a different time. And maybe, um, you know, that I know all the words to that you can scream in the car. Uh, or, you know, you can't really scream on a run. I guess you can, you can do whatever you want now. People are, people are accepting all sorts of things or not not accepting them. I just just want to react to this by saying anytime you hear nineties music played on this show, we are doing it because we think John Dankowski might might be listening. We want to enrage him. However, he he, like hates all of these, but you just named, I think four bands that he doesn't hate from the nineties. So that was pretty impressive. Excellent. Uh, I don't want to be on his bad side, but like the other day we played breakfast at Tiffany's, the only reason we played that going out of a break was I was hoping Dan Kosky was listening and he would like drive off the road or something. Well, that enrages me too. So that's good. I'm glad. Okay. I'm glad. So Bill, what are you going to recommend to us? 
Well, the first endorsement that I have to make is of my wife, Lori, because she gave me permission to do this on our wedding anniversary. Ooh, happy, happy anniversary. anniversary. I mean, it's not like I had to leave the house to do it or anything, but still, you know, she, she was willing to let me come upstairs and do this. Um, but my other endorsements, uh, very first is there's a great tribute to the late Larry Kramer um, in today's New York Times by Tony Kushner. And they had a long and often difficult relationship and definitely read this. It's not very long, but it's very, very touching. Um, So that's the Tony Kushner piece in the New York Times on Larry Kramer. And then my other one is a show that I absolutely love. This is a strong endorsement. It's a show on Hulu called Rami. Uh, it's, uh, features the Egyptian, um, uh, American Egyptian comedian, Rami Youssef. Um, and it had its first season last year and the new season actually debuts tonight. This is a great show about, uh, a young Egyptian American man. You can see, you know, it's him. Uh, trying to come to grips with his Muslim identity, but also being torn by American culture. I can't recommend this show enough. He was also um, interviewed this morning on uh, Morning Edition. Um, give a, a really oh, interesting uh, okay. interview. Uh, I think yeah. with David Green. It's it's so good. Um, now I'll warn you: some of it is really controversial and politically incorrect. Some people will find it really offensive. It might not be for you, Kara. <laughs> um, but um, it's one of these uh, kind of auteur comedy uh, series, kind of like Donald Glover's Atlanta or Pamela Adlon's Better Things that so Bill, strives so, to be more uh, important. Bill Usman, I hate to interrupt you, but we actually are pretty Sorry. much out of time here. Uh, but Rami uh, on Hulu is recommended. All right, uh, Kat, uh, you can bring the music up. Th- I'll, I will hold my recommendations over until next week. Because uh, then I'll oh, have them. All I have to do is remember. Broke you out. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, no, that's no, that's good. That's actually a good thing. Uh, all right. So thanks to everybody who listened. Uh, thanks to everybody who helped out in getting the show together. And we will be back on Monday with to tell you a little bit more about the medical science behind the situation we're in right now.